0: At the start of 2019, the chemo was over, the cancer was gone, and finally, it's like we had a moment to catch our breath. And then, mom hit the play button again.
1: Congratulations! Congratulations.
0: There were anniversary parties to go to, no as can be. and weddings.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Nana's taking a picture.
0: And grandkids to visit.
2: What do you want, Aggie?
0: And then finally, in the fall of that year, the travel and the big family gatherings were all done. Doing a video on uh, Jackson Heights, 74th Street. And mom and dad came back to New York to visit me. It was a moment of relative quiet, an opportunity to take stock and reflect and process. What helped me also was...
2: Asking questions, like I remember these the interns and the doctors and all coming in. And I say, look, there's a whiteboard there. Can you draw me a picture of my lungs and tell me what's happening inside? Can you draw me a picture of my abdominal cavity and tell me what's happening? Or, you know, like they thought it funny probably, but they said, oh, okay, you're a teacher. You need to know everything. You need diagrams. That's also such a science girl thing to say. Can you draw me a diagram? Right. It kind of, I need to know like, you know, like what's going on like inside. And that helps me get things clear.
0: And then something else started to happen. Mom had lost all her hair in chemo, but now it was finally starting to grow out again. Okay, so this is the hair care aisle. There was this one night when Mom and I went out to a drugstore. It was a fun moment, and I remember it so clearly. A brightly lit aisle, a nearly empty store, and just the two of us, very confused. And here we are. Two girls with straight hair looking for products for somebody with curly hair because what has happened to your hair, mom?
2: Well, I never did have curly hair before, but I think it came out after the chemo treatment. Right. So now I'm looking for something to tame the curls. Because they're really like
0: tight, proper curls. So what do girls with curly hair use on their hair? I've
2: never
0: I had watched in wonder that year, as mom's hair started to grow back after the treatment ended. It was so thick and almost aggressively curly, which freaked us both out. Yes, so I've never
2: had frizzy hair all my life. And I'm very happy and grateful that I've got frizzy hair. But I need to control the curls. Here, frizzies. Found something. Okay. Styling leaves a flawless,
0: shiny finish. We never used to have frizzy straight hair, right? Yeah, no, none of us do, and I hope we don't. But I remember standing there at the drugstore and thinking, I really have no idea how to support mom. I was not equipped to pick a product for curly hair, and I was not equipped to help her recover from cancer. I was trying to support by making this podcast sort of, but look, not really, because it was just hard. I was mostly just feeling helpless and trying not to think about it, unless I absolutely had to. Mom would often say things like, family was what kept her going. But family? We were in rough shape. This is Overlooked, a podcast about ovarian cancer. I'm Golda Arthur, and you're listening to me and my mom, Teresa. For a year and a half, I had stood by and watched mom respond to everything that the cancer threw at her. Now she was on the other side of that. She was in recovery, her hair was growing back, her energy was restored. But my dad, Robin, was another story. I knew that it had hit him really hard, but we never actually sat down to talk about it openly until now. It was painful for me to witness his pain, but I knew I had to. So I turned on my mic. Okay, so I'm going to be holding this about, about here, I think. Just, uh, just tell me what you had for breakfast.
1: Um, two boiled eggs. As always. As always, yeah.
0: So take me back to the moment when they first told you in the hospital mm. what it was. She had gone in for gallbladder and then they come and they tell you it's cancer. So tell me what's going through your head in that moment.
1: The the doctor came in after some three or four hours, and thankfully I had family and friends around uh, the hospital bed. And uh, she broke it quite straightforwardly in the sense, she said, I'm sorry, I have bad news for you. And then she said, yes, uh, the doctors are suspecting cancer. Now it came like a a ton of bricks down upon us. So I went to lighten the head, and made it a point to lean on some pillar. But uh, I also saw a family and friends around, extremely somber-looking, desperate. I tried to hold myself and, uh, you know, behave like an adult. And uh, we said, we'll work to this, you yeah. know.
0: What, what do you mean, behave like an adult?
1: I didn't want to break down. Because that would upset mummy to start with. But when all of them had left the room and it was later in the night that when I went there to her, I broke down. The two of us. Mummy choked for a while and then she said, No, no, uh, Robin. uh, It's only you I'm thinking about and, of course, the children. No, but uh, I couldn't control myself. Every time I went to the washroom, even prior to that, I was breaking down in the washroom.
0: When do you think the shock wore off?
1: I think if anything, it wore off on the morning when the chief of the cancer department came in and briefed Mum, And he said, uh, yeah, you're in Stage three, he says, there's no question about that. But um, it's the most treatable of cancers. And very frankly, after those six chemo sessions and uh, surgical procedure, he says, most people get into remission. That said everything to me and brought a sense of comfort. That brought hope. Of course, in between, hope came along all the while on the pews of churches we went to we clung on to a statement from a young priest who said, what is faith? Faith is trust and submission. So I clung on to that, and um, there was comfort coming in from there. And then, of course, uh, there's family all around, you know, our children. When I, for example, said to you, is there life after mum?" There isn't probably life after mum, And you kept saying, no, but dad, we're there for you.
0: So we're coming up to the one year anniversary of mom being in remission officially. And so at some point later this year, you'll be looking back on this year, you'll be looking back on last year. What has been left over from the cancer?
1: Uh, It's been a good one because mom has spent this year traveling so much and at no time was there any sense that she's being troubled by symptoms and uh, so overall it was a good year a hopeful year almost forgot about it yeah but you never quite forget but you never quite yeah
0: no not quite we were all still processing everything that had happened in our own ways cancer had just punched my family in the face and we had only just started to tend to our bloody noses dad couldn't even say the word cancer he referred to it as it capital Or the C word. But he seemed to be holding it together somehow. Me? Sure, I was holding it together. I focused on my new job at a big podcasting company. My kids who were turning into teenagers. A move into a new apartment. A husband whose job took him to another city. In fact, anything else but this goddamn cancer. Because it was still hard for me to look directly at it. To face how close we had come to losing mom. I thought I was doing okay and dealing with it all until one morning in the fall of 2019. I took part in a 5K fundraising run for ovarian cancer. It was called the Teal Run and it was held in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. I ran alongside hundreds of people on a bright, warm fall day. Okay, this is me. I'm running for the first time in two years. I don't generally do runs with hundreds of other people. And I'm here. I'm here for mom. I gotta walk, I can't run. My left leg is just flaring up, just burning pain all over my leg. I can't run anymore. I'm just, I don't know why I'm crying. I know why I'm crying. I'm crying because I remember that moment in the hospital when they did that thing to mom by her bedside. Oh, that's why I'm crying. Oh, I can see the finish line inside. Oh, fuck. going to tell you how long it's taken me. To run a 5K race. Yeah. Yeah. 42 minutes, 42 seconds. It was a long, tough run for me. Afterwards, though, I walked around and I talked to people, asking for their stories, why they had come, what their connection to ovarian cancer was. How do you feel having done it?
2: I feel good. I mean, I've always done the breast cancer. Never had breast cancer in my family. But now because my sister was stricken with the disease and died from it, it makes me want to do it more. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what about you, Miss?
3: Well, I'm a survivor myself. I was one of the lucky ones, but also because a friend of mine was recently diagnosed and she's not so lucky, so I'm here for her too because we got to support each other.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Tell me why you're here today. I'm here for my girlfriend. Uh, She's two years cancer free today. And is she here today? Yeah, she's right there. Hi. You're the girlfriend. Yeah, it's for me, actually. Yeah. I'm the survivor. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, OK, who else wants to tell me? Mark. Why are you here? Get yeah, him, go on. Mark.
1: I'm here to celebrate my sister. She's two years free of cancer. I feel very blessed and happy, and it brings us all together. So it's a great feeling.
3: Yeah, good, good for you.
0: I found it comforting to be around people who had walked in my shoes, some who were ahead of me in this journey. Everyone struggling to find their own way to grieve a loss or celebrate a life or just sit with this somehow. And it was meaningful that the folks I talked to also didn't know enough about this disease, also believed it to be overlooked somehow. In fact, the run itself was an attempt to change the conversation about this disease. That's coming up after the break. everyone i wanted to pause for a quick second and tell you about our website overlookedpod.com if you want to know more about inequality in women's health or how widespread genetic testing is or what the story is with ovarian cancer in the uk head to the blog section of the website where we have in-depth interviews on all of these topics and more that's overlookedpod.com
3: So we are standing outside of the only ovarian cancer community center in the United States, right here in Brooklyn's Park Slope. And our center opened in 2015, and it's, it's a really special, unique place. This is Pamela Esposito. She runs an organization called
0: Tell Every Amazing Lady, the Louisa M. McGregor Foundation for Ovarian Cancer. The annual Teagle Run is one of their biggest events. And the community center is just around the corner from the park where the run happens. I
3: mean, every day something different happens here and we're able to bring the community together. Tell me about the name, Tell Every Amazing Lady. So I can't take the credit for it. My sister and I, when we started the foundation, we knew we were gonna come up with a foundation, had something to do with teal because she was really excited. She heard the color teal symbolizes ovarian cancer, just like pink for breast cancer. How could we not know about this? And so we were both stuck on, we've got to do something with the word teal. And we were playing around with. Acronyms, and she one day said, Tell every amazing lady, and after she said that that was it, we were stuck with it. So we decided to keep it, it was so good.
0: Well, because also in there, the tell every amazing lady, it's
3: a call to action, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Say a little bit more about why the tell bit is important. Yeah, I mean, ovarian cancer is a silent disease, they say, but it's not so silent. It really does have signs and symptoms that we need to talk about. There's risk factors we need to talk about, but it also does not have a screening test. And so we have to talk about it. So tell every amazing lady or person born with ovaries, it's absolutely important for this disease. Pamela lost her sister
0: Louisa McGregor to ovarian cancer. Louisa had been diagnosed two years earlier.
3: This is the cancer that seems to be put on the sidelines. No fault or just to all the rest of the cancers that, you know, need attention because they all do. But ovarian cancer is still that overlooked disease that we're trying to change and it's still not enough. Pamela gave me a tour of the community center, which feels like a warm,
0: welcoming place is decked out in the color teal from ceiling to floor. The origin story of how this center and this organization came about is also a very special one. And I feel sad to ask you, I know this stuff is hard to talk about, but talk about it, you know, we have to really, Mm -hmm. if we wanna make progress on this. So
3: tell me the origin story of this and tell me about your sister Louisa. Absolutely, and I'm happy to talk about it. It's so important and that's why we do what we do to keep her legacy alive, to keep her story alive. So she is part of our story. She is our story. So Louisa was diagnosed in 2007 with ovarian cancer and like many women with this disease, the symptoms she was having, she sort of kept blowing off as something else and so did her doctor. So for instance, she had a nagging back pain that wasn't going away, but she thought, oh, that's from my old back injury from many years ago. That's probably what that is. She was having gastrointestinal issues. She saw a gastroenterologist and they were like, oh, maybe that's IBS. You know, don't worry about it take this and, you know, see how it goes. It wasn't going away. She was gaining weight. She couldn't finish her food on her plate like she normally would she was, she was getting full. And now it's, oh, I probably have IBS or something like that. Then she had pelvic pain and abdominal pain and she had endometriosis. So, oh, it must be the endometriosis. There was always a reason for it, but that's the trick with this disease. It's so vague. There's not a screening test. And even the doctors are not so educated about this disease. So she did go to the doctor. She did her follow-up. She had mammograms. She had colonoscopies. She did, all all the things that women are supposed to do. And it was still caught at a late stage. She was 41 years old when she was diagnosed. She passed away at 45, leaving behind two young children and a husband, of course. And basically it was so important before she passed that she could help other women, you know, maybe get them a little bit to the doctor sooner, maybe educate their families about it and learn a little bit more. And, you know, while she was going through treatment, she really couldn't do a lot, but she would stay up till the middle of the night searching and Googling and trying to learn more about ovarian cancer and learn more about what we can do as a foundation to grow. And so her vision is alive in our foundation and it really is all the work that she would be so proud of how far we've come for this. So it's mm. it's really important that her message continues to to live on. You told me a lovely
0: story when we talked last about the moment where you guys came up with this idea of how yeah. it evolved in conversation. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that moment when you guys decided, hey, this is a good idea.
3: Yeah. So she was in the hospital after her first two surgeries and didn't look like she was getting out anytime soon. It was really tough, especially in the beginning. And so she was, you know, needed a cheerleader. I would call myself that part of my role as caregiver to her was just always upbeat, always the cheerleader, like, all right, what are we doing next? And let's get going and always positive, which does come naturally to me, but it was important for me to always stay positive around her. And so we said, okay, when we get out here, we'll do an ovarian cancer walk. There must be a walk. And we really couldn't find one in New York City. The capital of the world to be able to do something, you know, the vision that we had, we're like, how is there not one going? What's going on here? So we made one. It was that simple. I showed up, say, a couple of days later at her bedside with the permit application to fill out for us to have this in Prospect Park. And she was like, Wow, you move quick. Okay, let's do this. And we were both just determined to attend a cancer walk that was specific for this disease in a place where we grew up and We were just, I guess we're those kind of people just to kind of take something uh, negative and make it positive. And from there, that's when we just had people contacting us from everywhere. Now we were like, okay, we need some help. What are we going to do? And the more people heard about it, okay, I'll help you with garbage bags. I'll help you with, you know, I'll sponsor the event and I'm going to bring my family of 10. And I mean, it was just incredible, the outpouring of help and support from the community and a community of people who were touched by this disease as well.
0: You know, Pamela, you said something I can't stop thinking about since you said it, which is your role as a cheerleader. So many things to struggle with. But among them is this idea of like, what does it mean to be standing on the side and watching a loved one do this? Because it's essentially a lonely journey, right? They're in it. It is affecting them, their bodies, their minds, their hearts, their spirit. Mm -hmm. But We have a role to play as people who love them, people who are standing on the side, watching and more powerfully witnessing Mm -hmm. what's happening. How do you process that yourself, your role with Louisa's illness? And what can you say to other folks who are in a similar
3: position? Yeah, that's a great question. When it comes to the quote unquote caregiver, right? That's sort of a a title someone might give themselves or a doctor might tell you you're now a caregiver for a loved one. It's many hats, you wear many hats, you're gonna have good days and bad days just like the patient will with whatever disease this is. You know, I chose to be the cheerleader in front of her. And maybe, you know, when I wasn't around her, I would break down at at times, of course, who wouldn't, right? I mean, this is tough. And I did eventually lose her. But I also was her healthcare proxy. I dealt with her hospice setup and her final wishes. So I did play that kind of role that caregivers do wear those many hats. And some of them can be really challenging. The cheerleader part is the fun part where you're just, you know, let's do this and let's do this fun thing. Let's put makeup on or go out to dinner when you have the energy or just live those moments. But then there's the really tough, side of dealing with hospice and thankfully everyone doesn't always have to deal with that but there's those struggles you know maybe there's a day the person isn't able to eat you know Well, you've improvised and just try to find some liquid solution or something that's going to make it better for them and you just have to find within yourself that strength but at the same time taking care of you and your own self is so critically important you know you can't do for everybody and if it's not something that you can keep up with or that is too challenging, it's okay to ask for help and bring on other people, whether it's professional help, whether it's individuals or a foundation like us to reach out to and turn to, there's always resources out there and know that you don't have to do this on your own.
0: I took great comfort and inspiration from talking to Pamela about her personal journey and the work her organization was doing and understanding that mom and we as her family we're part of a larger community, also meant a lot. Turns out we would need that strength. Well, it's not
2: feeling too good today, but I don't know what it is. It's either caught a bug or something. So I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, kind of. And, uh, but hopefully we'll go to Halifax and get it sorted out in the sense at least find out what it is.
0: Overlooked is written and produced by me, Golda Arthur. Our associate producer is Jessica martinez dios Alyssa Sowep is our editor. And Eric Gomez is our sound designer and engineer. Please share this episode with someone who would like to listen as well. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're a small show and every little bit helps. And for more information about the show, check out our website, www.overlookedpod.com.
3: Thank you for listening.